0: pal, Stanley Baker. Now, you may be wondering why I'm here. Well, Michael Caine is still alive. And we've, we, have we, we've and the chaps back at the, back at the other side, we've all taken a photos. We've decided that it's, it's not right. You boys are having living people on when you've got a whole pool of dead people back here are willing and ready and able to work. All... Did you let all those dead people in our swimming pool? Swimming pool, Stanley Yes, they're all, all hanging out there right now waiting there turn. <sighs> There's Jimmy Stewart's out there. Oh, he's doing good. Uh, we got. Uh, I think it's just Jimmy Stewart right now. But well, there's more coming, I assure oh, you. Okay. Okay.
1: Hi guys, I'm just loving this pool.
0: <laughs> he, he loves that pool. So I've been sent in on behalf of my my friend uh, Michael Kane who is quite still alive, and I believe has appeared on here before. But I'm putting a stop to it. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Okay. Okay. I'm assuming that I'm dead. There's no way that I'm not. You're dead. You're definitely yes, dead. Yes, I'm quite dead.
2: Mm.
0: Killed in the Zulu Wars, I believe. Yes, 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 yes. Time machine. Thought that I should actually go there and die and make the performance even better. But, and I said, my my point, you see, was that I'd already done the performance. How would then me doing something else make the performance better? But they insisted, and you know, here we are. Here we are. Never say that I didn't do what I had to do for But anyways, I was here to introduce this week's movie, wasn't I? Yes. Sir. Yes, uh, well, last week it was Michael Kane my good friend, and educating Rita with that young vixen, mm-hmm. Julie Walters. Mm-hmm. Julie Walters? Yeah. You uh, got good. it. For being I, dead. I I also know a girl named Julie Walters. For, for being dead, your your memory's all right. I'm, memory's pretty all right. right. I'm pretty good. Uh, yes, and, and he was quite good in that movie. I, I believe I saw that before I died. I'm still not quite sure. It's been... Uh, heaven doesn't have the same amount of time, you see. Mm. It's different time. It's smooth time. Mm-hmm. It's quite lovely, but it's quite different, you see. It uh, so takes were, a while to get used to. So you were saying you wanted to introduce uh, the movie? Oh, yes, yes, yes. This week's movie, uh, not starring my good friend Michael Kane, but uh, starring at least a couple of people that are in the back who are waiting to come on. I think I see Michael uh, Redgrave. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah, Michael Redgrave is hanging out back there. Uh, <laughs> you don't hang out with a lot of people in heaven, do you? Heaven is a foreign country. Things are different there. Thank you, Michael, very much. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so this week's movie is is quite a show. It's, uh, it's a rip-roaring movie that I enjoyed very much called The Dam Busters. And that's not a swear word. Felt like it. Anyways, uh, I must go back. Uh, Jimmy's at the pool.
1: Come on back to the pool, Stanley.
0: Yes, Jimmy wants me to go back to the pool, so I'm going back to the pool. Enjoy the show, fellows. Enjoy the show, audience. And never again hire someone who is still alive. Do you understand?
2: Wow, Stanley Baker, I wasn't uh, wasn't expecting that. That's a more obscure one to be dug out. Mm.
0: But he did have a point. We can't be contravening the afterlife union.
2: Yeah, contravening is... They're, they're, they're too powerful.
0: I mean, even though contravening does prevent pregnancy. Mm. Mm. I'm all in favor of contravention for the young people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Contravene yourselves, kids. That's right.
2: You know, that sounded an awful, an awful lot like a sponsor. I've barely touched this whiskey. I'm already slurring. <laughs> that sounded an awful lot like a sponsor, Jason. Oh. Um, which brings me to our first point. Before we even get into the fact, that our this... first point. Let's we
0: gotta check the minutes here. Let's see. Let's see. First one. Okay. Yes, that is indeed the first point. Brendan, you have the floor. There we Call go. to order! Call to order. Brendan. Um, But
2: our first point, before we even say that this is a podcast called For Screen and Country and that I am Brendan. And I'm Jason. But before we say any of before that. Before we even say that at all. Yeah. Jason, we are part of a podcast network. What? That's right. This podcast is brought to you, proudly brought to you today by the Age of Radio Podcast Network, which you can check out at ageofradio.org. I'm not a hundred percent sure if we're up on the main page yet, but we are on our way. We are part of that network, so nothing. And if you listen to this podcast as you're listening right now, nothing has really changed. No. Um, the only thing you would need to do if you listen on Podbean, you would just have to search again for the podcast and subscribe. But we're there, damn it. And you can also find the link to like the new
0: Podbean link on all our social media. So it's and, up there. And hey, if you like us, check out the rest of the network. There's some interesting shows on there. There's some there's some true crime. There's some more movie shows because I believe everything I love about the movies is also uh, <laughs> everything on there. I learned from movies? everything I learned from the movies. <laughs> I, I thought it was everything I love about the movies. <laughs> everything I loved about the movies. See, I assumed that Stephen Izzy would just be like, I, I really like 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 when the movies are bright. And other times, <coughs> other times they're dark, and I like that too. You have listened to the show. Yeah, I know it's one of my favorites. <laughs> everything I learned from the Movies. Yeah, so everything you're adding <laughs> into the you're like an eighty year old. Everything right I now. learned from movies. There you go. Oh, I see what they're saying. That everything that they learned in their life, they they then learned from movies, which of course is a much longer title. And wow, it's I mean a- that sounds like it should be the premise, but I don't think they really. I mean, they do say what they learned from each movie.
2: Why are we giving them so much free advertising? What
0: I want to know is why Steve and Izzy are are talking about their own life experience. Experiences and how movies that they've watched have informed how that they've then played out those life experiences like, did, like okay for instance did they, have they ever had like an old friend who was like a scientist and built a time machine and did, were they inspired by Back to the Future as to how they approached that situation if so Stephen, Izzy, Jason's making all good points here. Think and that's just it. one of the many shows available on the Age of Radio <laughs> yeah, Network. Yeah, that's just us and them. No. There, there, there's a True Crime Alaska podcast, which is really specific and cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some weird hippie New Age shit on there. There's, uh, It's great. We're, we're part of a great team.
2: Our our, our buddies, the home video Hustle, is, are also there. Absolutely. Brett and PJ. Um, yeah, and lots of different genres. Uh, so this will be fun.
0: We're part of a new – it's a part of a new day. So it's- Brendan, I say to you, raise your glass. Yeah. Here's to our association with the Age of Radio podcasting network. May it-, it not be a podcoin. by the way folks save all your pod coins up it's coming back don't worry one of these days but yeah so that's the
2: first bit of news the second bit of news I actually want to mention as well is we also have a new email address we've only done almost 100 episodes Jason so it takes a while to get that email address you gotta wait on the registration we had to send
0: the paperwork directly to Larry Page he had (laughs) to review it sign off on it
2: so if you want to send us an email and we'll mention it again at at the end of the show but if you want to send us an email about anything you want to send us pictures please not illegal uh suggestions don't even say that uh, cool. you asshole. <laughs> now i just ruined it suggestions questions comments anything like that you can send it to for screen and country at
0: gmail.com easy as that in any email client you prefer gmail aol hotmail uh maybe i'm sure there's like GeoCities mail a non-mail GeoCities mail yes absolutely sure it's still out there somewhere you <laughs> yeah. could you could probably even uh do we have a news group should we get a news group I mean, I mean dot podcast dot for screening country. I mean people say Reddit is the way to go, but I think a news group is much more appropriate. Or can we get can we can we make a Yahoo group? We could. i I would rather make a Yahoo group, but we cannot make a subreddit because if we make a subreddit, then I'll go visit that subreddit and I'll be really sad. Okay. Well, with all that bullshit out of the way, um, we
2: are going to talk about a movie this week that is number sixty eight on the list, but before we talk about This week's movie. We should probably say what the premise of our show is. Yeah. If you're listening for the first time on Age of Radio, welcome. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, As you said, this is a podcast called For Screen and Country. Uh, We talk about the top 100 British films on the British Film Institute top 100 British films of all time list. That's what we normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, and this week will be no different. And then we kind of, you know, talk about talk about the movie. Get into detail. Is it worth it? Is it? Should it be on the list? Should it not be? It, how well does it age?
0: That and you comes can, up a lot. Absolutely. And you can expect a number of things in this podcast, folks. Especially if you're just joining us. You can expect the hottest of hot takes. You can expect... Uh, uh, tangents that relate very very tangentially to the movie as tangents t- tend to do uh, you can expect uh, 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 occasional outbursts of anger from me or brendan but probably me probably you um and you can expect uh, a lot of love because that's what we're here to bring to you the listener
2: that's right jason summed it up as best as anyone could Absolutely. so that is what we're going to do so before we talk about this week's film the damn Busters, we need to talk, we need to read some comments regarding last week's film, An Education of Rita, or as the more famously known title, Educating Rita. That's better. Jason. Hi. <laughs> oh, hello. That's a really nice, pleasant way of you, uh, of you introducing I'm just real yourself. happy to be here. Wow. The, uh, why do you have your, why are your pants off? This is a party and this is how I do. I mean, I don't need your pants off to see how happy you are to be here. Plus,
0: it's, plus it's you know, it's my turn. Last time, it was you who had your pants off. Once you finally took them completely off, instead of just leaving them around your ankles like a creep. You know, you'd think that was a bit. No, nah, no. But that's, that's <laughs> for real. That's for real. In, in his defense, it was very hot in here, but... Well, take them off is what I'm saying. Just yeah. get them off.
2: Don't sit there like you're sitting on the toilet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Taking a leak. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Are you saying like I'm sitting down to take a leak? Yeah, well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, sometimes
0: you got to take a load off.
2: Annie, first comment comes from Victoria Stewart. Ooh. And she says, it's pretty good. But my friend and I would say he's a bit of a wanker, really, for years afterwards. I like that the romantic subtext stays sub. Yeah, uh, the, no, like I like
0: that. The, yeah, the, there was romantic subtext, but it wasn't explicit because that is, first off, kind of creepy, and it would have been the obvious thing based on uh, old-timey standards.
2: I think that kind of pushed that movie over the top for me in yeah. terms of liking it. Is that I, I already liked it? Its sense of restraint. Well, I mean, like, yeah, like I already liked it, and then that whole thing where you know it wasn't even about that. Yeah, that was like, oh, that's nice. I feel like there was an attempt at that at the end when he asked her if she wanted to come with yes. him. Yes. But that was definitely a, a shot in the dark, Hail
0: Mary kind of situation for him. But I don't even know if he saw that as romantic. It was weird. Anyway, yeah, I, I think he saw it as like Compendium. a desperate last attempt to keep her in his life. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is again from the director of Alfie. <laughs> <laughs> Our next comment comes from Nancy Rat Rat. And Nancy says, I watched it once in my early 20s when a friend was cruising through everything nominated. I think the tricky part is that Rita is an objectively better person than Frank. And the movie assumes that you will think a college professor has more inherent value than a hairdresser. So it doesn't bother to develop Frank's charms, only Rita's. As a result, Frank looks like a pompous ass and Rita looks like a great person. But I, th- but I think it's still an enjoyable flick. I think I see what she's saying. In 2020, we don't necessarily have the same view of a college professor as a, by default, like, uh, unimpingable character.
2: Yeah. Like, of the
0: highest regard. I mean, I think a
2: lot of times I'm seeing these characters that I would be like, yeah, they're not for the system. Blah. Yeah. And now
0: I'm I'm like, you're kind of an asshole. Yeah. You're just kind of being a dick. And he, and he does certainly come off that way through most of the movie. It doesn't help he's an alcoholic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that's a good point. But yes, you're right. It still is a good movie. That is a good point, Nancy. Uh Kyle Keppen says it's been so
2: long, but I really loved this movie the last time I saw it. I'm not in love with Pygmalion stories in general, but this is an exception. It also goes on my list of movies that is nearly destroyed by the soundtrack. Eighty synth has aged well in a lot of cases, but dot 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 not here
0: yeah, and I think I pointed out in the episode it was very much a contemporary type of synth like like we could argue, I think we mentioned like chariots of fire was a deliberate choice, mm-hmm. but this is almost like well that that was the style at the time.
2: And I mean it was three years after chariots of fire yeah. came out, so or yeah. two years,
0: I mean, yeah, something like that. Yeah, but chariots of fire wasn't just like oh synths are hot, let's do it because that's the default.
2: Uh. <laughs> I just picture someone in the boardroom being like synths are hot, people synths are hot, put those synths in, and we'll make mega monies I'll finance this movie get me Vangelis no no get him out of here I have so much get him out of here finance we'll make the best movie ever made no actually actually get him a job and then he'll stay out of everything else
0: (laughs) I'll hear from that guy again (laughs) um Pygmalion stories yeah no I didn't think of this initially kind of as a Pygmalion story but yeah absolutely uh but this is different because this is a much better modern take on that story Uh, That we don't have that kind of, again, from modern eyes, Pygmalion is fucking creepy because Henry Higgins finds this flower girl who's like this uneducated, poor-talking, you know, just street kid, and he makes a bet. With his best friend that he could turn her into a lady and mm. in the course of turning her into a lady and, and kind of educating her and giving her a, a thing into the window of the world, he falls in love with her and eventually ends up with her. And it's It's kind of creepy. yeah, it's kind of creepy that he basically grooms this girl to be his wife essentially over the course mm. of the movie, predicated on a a bet. Now of course we we, we, we can talk about the most perfect of developing million movies. she's all that all day, but
2: uh... yeah I mean
0: <laughs> I, I mean it all boils down to a bet. yeah, absolutely. Uh, But yeah, no, absolutely. This is a good take on that idea. And along those lines, our next comment is from Eric Chung. And Eric says, I like it. I like that the Henry Higgins figure is more overtly flawed uh, and that Rita drives the story. I made a composite monologue out of Frank's speeches from the beginning and end for auditions. And it was one of the first one. And it was the first one I recorded when deciding to burn them off by shooting my audition monologues for YouTube. I also heard a radio version of the play with Bill Nighy in the role. Ooh, that'd be great. I love Bill Nighy. I also thought the song in the pub was good. Yeah, that was cool. And they're
2: all singing along, and she says, I
0: want to sing a different song. I want to sing a different song. Yeah,
2: it's a great scene. Yes. Um... Leslie Horn says, I believe this play slash film influenced the most recent versions I've seen of My Fair Lady in which Eliza is transformed by a newfound love of learning more than by Henry Higgins' uh, attention. I want to
0: see these newer versions of My Fair Lady. Where is this newer version of My Fair Lady? It was made in 1964. I was in a newer version of My Fair Lady uh, 18 years ago, but I don't think that we did anything particularly modern with it. And you you played Eliza? Yeah, I was Eliza straight up. Mm -hmm. All I want is a room somewhere... Far away from the cold night. For some
2: reason, I thought you were going to sing. All I want is a room at the top. (laughs) And then maybe after I'm done, my life will be at the top.
0: And then I'm going to drink me a can of pop. In this sporting life. Hey! Uh, Caitlin Hansen. Mm-hmm. says, I prefer that that interpretation. She's Hon- responding to Leslie. To Leslie, yeah. I prefer that interpretation. Honestly, I saw My Fair Lady for the first time a few years ago and while I love the performances, especially Audrey Hepburn. Uh, I would add in, Rex Harrison is fantastic as well. I was disgusted at the overt misogynistic tones of the whole debacle. <laughs> Absolutely. Henry Higgins is such a gross man, chauvinistic to the extreme. I saw very little growth from him, uh, even after realizing he loved Eliza. It was more that he changed her enough to finally settle for her. Ugh. So the interpretation that Eliza grows from love of learning and discovering her inner strength is so much better. 100% agree, Caitlin. You fucking nailed it. Mm.
2: And makes it even more impressive because this is a you know early eighties movie yeah. that's already taken on that kind of more modern view mm-hmm. based on a play too. And, then so, it, and then it
0: still holds up, I'd say. Yeah, no, yeah. it
2: does. It it doesn't feel like like I said. As soon as I saw this movie on the list, I was like, oh boy, this could be <laughs> real bad. Yeah, <laughs> Re- age real poorly. Just like is this like the British Nine and a Half Weeks? What do we oh, got here, man? But I've been surprised like that. I will say there have been obviously a few instances of us encountering that where it's like, "Oh, that doesn't age well. Yeah. But I've been surprised that we've seen the opposite more than that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's a testament to how good these movies are, mm-hmm. that, uh, that they are either forward thinking or they are just so timeless in their drama. Yeah. Ahead of their time. Yeah. Um,
2: Ian Hawkins says it's a great film. Amazing that Jay Walters, I'm assuming they're tight, so that's what he go, yeah, that's what yeah. she goes by. Uh, Jay Walters in her first role is more than a match for M. Kane. Also as, tight. Yeah, all tight. Tight like a tiger. As a working-class lad who wanted to go to university, this really spoke to me, especially around how her family was resistant to Rita getting educated and the bittersweet ending.
0: Yeah, yeah. That That's such a foreign idea to me, thankfully. I, I like the... Like, no one in my life I can think of has ever discouraged a female from getting education if they want it yeah in favor of, of settling down and having a family i mean and and they would be supportive of that too mm-hmm. i mean I'm, i consider myself privileged that in my life i don't see that but i mean it's it's crazy to a different era maybe. yeah a different era but i think that attitude absolutely still exists there are oh, it does. people that believe that although it's much harder to force like, that issue yeah i was gonna say i don't think it's as
2: much of a uh I mean I don't I don't wanna speak for, you know, women but Absolutely. I don't think it's as much of a problem or at least it's not as difficult as it was back then. Well
0: society has changed enough that it's I suppose easier it's like if you wanna live your life, you can go off and live your life. You your your family doesn't necessarily have recourse to track you down and force you to do what you what they want you to do in a way they might have in the past.
2: So what I'm trying to say is ladies, stop complaining. <laughs> Everything is a okay. You finally did it. Congratulations. You... Let's move on. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> you, what's, that, what's that slogan? Uh, you, can't, you come a long way, baby. <laughs> you have come a long way, baby, but now you've come as far as you're going to go. And you ran so far away. <laughs> what does Tracy Walker say, Jason? Oh, uh, let's get into this
0: misogynistic hole. Tracy Walker <laughs> says, this is absolutely one of my favorite movies ever. I love Julie Walters in this. It's one of those I've seen maybe 10 times because I keep making other people watch it. It's been a few years, so it might be time for a new watch.
2: Sorry for making
0: you sound so angry, Tracy, but that was just, I felt the
2: passion. This this is a movie, though, that I could see myself watching more than once. I know we've come across these movies, like, great movie, probably won't watch it again. But this is one that's, like, light enough, but there's also enough going on to make it, like, you know, to make it feel like a full, like, you know, this is a movie on the BFI Top 100. But at the same time, it's a comedy that is easy to watch.
0: If my aunt came to me and said, we should watch a movie, what do you think I would like? I might be like, do you want to watch Educating Rita? You're a teacher. You might like it. It does take some shots, though. Uh, absolutely.
2: Okay, our last comment here, Jason, is from David Stein, and he says, This is my favorite movie of all time. Wow. praise! I mean, it made me look at college as more than just a vocational school. It shows that education is also transforming. It was very
0: funny, too. That's wonderful for him, because for, uh, when I went to college, uh, the things that uh, I had in mind going to college were Animal House, and uh the tv show undergrads
2: and you were sorely disappointed i was
0: yes (laughs) there were there were not nearly enough panty raids and uh way too much work (laughs) not enough misogyny that's right i mean everybody was pretty cool i'm really glad your expectations were
2: not set at like revenge of the nerds going into
0: no thankfully yes no i I, actually growing up the only revenge of the nerds movie i think i saw was probably the third one because it was the only one that was not not rated r and i was allowed to rent the darth vader list one yes yes absolutely Um, So, Jason, those are all
2: the comments. Thanks, everyone, for for sending us your thoughts and prayers. God, we love hearing from you. Uh, We do love hearing from you, God. Now, the last thing we do, Jason, before we move on to this week's movie, which is, of course, The Dam Busters, we need to compare this one, Educating Mm -hmm. Rita, which is number 84 on the BFI Top 100 to number 84 on the AFI. The American Film Institute Top 100. And that movie is the Dennis Hopper classic, Easy Rider. Hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I'm going to say Educating Rita, Yeah, to be honest. I think Easy Rider has its place in history, having recently rewatched it.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I haven't seen Easy Rider in a long time, so I don't remember much about it, but uh, Educating Rita definitely holds up. Yeah. And, and while, I mean, while I acknowledge the importance of Easy Rider. Yeah, Educating if, Rita. If we're talking quality, I mean. Let's let's put this hot take out into the world. Educating Rita over Easy Rider. If you have a choice, if some psychotic person walks up to you and says, what do you want to watch tonight, Easy Rider or Educating Rita? You pick Educating Rita. I
2: mean, I feel like if you don't have a person that's really into film, you'll have a hard time getting them to watch Easy Rider. Mm. Because that's a very obtuse movie yeah. um, that's not hard to follow, but very strange. And I mean... I will say right here I like the movie. It's a it's a good movie. It's yeah. a well-made movie. It's it's a f- it's a crazy movie. Certainly, you know, belongs to be, it deserves to be in the annals or whatever, but I don't
0: know. I just I think Educating Rita is just a lot better. So if you have to watch a movie that begins with the letter E, pick Educating Rita or Eraser. Ooh. Or Eraser Head. Ooh, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) How did that go? Oh, what's this baby thing? Why does it look so gross? Where's the baby alien come from? Look at me, I'm dancing in the radiator. (laughs) Look at my moves. Why is everything making so much noise? Why are the pipes so loud? Mr. Mr. Lynch.
2: Lynch, (laughs) Loud pipes. Mr. Lynch, cut. Cut the scene. Wait, why did this make this into the movie?
0: I was uh, trying new editing techniques uh, while I was making the movie.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. That was was that before he filmed that uh, that movie about him interviewing a monkey
0: for murder? Yes. No. It was it was in the forty years in between. Yeah.
2: A real thing. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's it for the comments. That's it for that. We need to talk about this week's movie, Jason. We need to talk about the damn busters. Those damn busters. <laughs>
0: Here's Brendan. Bustin' makes me feel good. I ain't
2: afraid of no damn. Or a Nazi.
0: I did not see any of them
2: in the <laughs> I did not see any dams. Guys... This is essentially what the show is, okay? Now you have an idea. You can take it or leave it.
0: (laughs) This is what we're getting into, friends. It ain't
2: getting any better from here. What are we talking about today, Brendan? We are talking about 1955's The Dam Busters. And who stars
0: in that movie, Brendan?
2: Well, first of all, this movie is directed by Mr. Michael Anderson. That's not what I asked, but thank you, Brendan. (laughs) This movie stars... A couple people we've – talked. well, actually, at least one person we've talked about yes. before. We have uh, Michael Redgrave as Barnes Wallace, the assistant chief designer uh, at Vickers Armstrong Limited. He is the gentleman uh, in this film – well, we'll talk about the plot of the movie. He is the gentleman who is devising this bomb uh, yes. at the
0: center of the film. And longtime listeners will remember him from his turn in uh, The Go-Between as yes. the older Leo.
2: Yes, very
0: brief uh, brief scene, but but, yeah, he was in that. Uh, We have
2: Richard Todd as Wing Commander Guy Gibson, the Mm. actual uh, man who's leading this charge. What a name for a a flyboy, by the way. (laughs) Guy Gibson, that's perfect. Uh, Ursula Jeans... As it, You might hear a little bit about Ursula Jeans if, if I do put in a little blooper at the end because Jason had some fun little riffs there. Uh, but Ursula Jeans is playing Mrs. Wallace, um, of which she's on screen for three minutes, maybe? Yeah, it's not very long. She's there right at the beginning. It's like, put a lady in this movie. There's no ladies. I won't tell you... Who all these characters are, but I'll just list some of the names because if I say the character names, neither you or I are going to remember who they are. One of them is named Dingy. But we have Basil Sidney, Patrick Barr, Ernest Clark, Derek Farr. um, And then actually one of the most interesting ones is, you know who has a small part in this movie, Jason? I do not, Brendan. That would be Robert Shaw. Oh. Aka Quint, as uh, you all may know, as from Jaws, he's actually sitting right by Guy Gibson in the plane uh, huh. in the climactic sequence. Crazy, I, yeah. I wouldn't have known if I hadn't seen the name, and then I Google imaged it, and what do you know?
0: I would have been impressed if one of us had recognized Robert Shaw, nineteen fifty five, in a British movie. Right. So the Dambusters, give us
2: a give us a little uh, a little breakdown of what the. Br- Break this dam
0: down, Jason. That's right. So, so this is a pretty, uh, at, at least for 1955, this is a pretty accurate depiction of the events that led to the famous Dam Buster Raid in 1943. Uh, so this Dr. Wallace basically comes up with an idea to build a type of bomb that can get around the defenses of German dams. Because the German dams have a number of uh, torpedo nets that are in front, of, uh, in front of the dams in the water that make it difficult, well, or really impossible to get a torpedo or an explosive in to destroy the dam. So Dr. Wallace has invented a, the principle of a bouncing bomb that can be used to skip across the water and get over those torpedo nets and against the dam and to blow it apart. And so this movie is about him pretty much from the beginning, from the process of building the bomb, researching it, And then uh, getting a squadron together and training them and deploying this bomb on this raid eventually. And that's basically what the movie is from start to finish. It's very procedural. It's very procedural. And I will tell you, the first
2: movie I thought of when when watching this movie is a movie... Out of all the movies we've covered, yeah. weirdly enough, I never thought I would say this, but the movie I thought about the most was *The Day of the Jackal*. That's exactly what I was going to say. Right?
0: Yeah. We're a similar kind of like progression where you get this very clear sense that there's an advancement being made yeah. throughout the course of the movie towards a goal. There's, enu- there's enough character to get you through. Yeah.
2: There's not it's not overwhelming like like not everybody's like this bright, you know, colorful, no. wonderful three-dimensional character, no. but it's still it, it's it's perfectly adequate for
0: what they need. Exactly. Everything in this movie is adequate for the purpose of telling this story. Because this is a very interesting story from the war that needed to be told, and and just as a, a heads up, has been tr- they've been trying for many years to tell again. I know Peter Jackson has been involved yeah. with trying to get a movie Stephen version Fry. made. Stephen Fry, uh, I think he's written some scripts. Well, they they, uh,
2: they tried, so they did try to launch a remake of this movie, Peter Jackson at the helm and Stephen Fry writing it, and I believe he did write a script. Yeah. Um, which we'll get into in a little bit here. But, I,
0: yeah, and I want to see that movie. Obviously, right now maybe isn't the best time to be making movies, but like they were talking about it as recently as 2018. I so. will
2: give you some potentially upsetting news about that. Oh, no. Um, in 2018, yes, they were talking about it, but Peter Jackson also said he only had the rights for about a year or two. Ah. So they may be gone They may now. have uh, lost them, I suppose, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Um, The Dam Busters. Dam Busters. 1955, this movie is made. Um, Yeah, so procedural. Um, This is like, okay, I feel like if this was... Now, obviously, this was based on a true story. Yes. Um, You said it's very close for 1955. It's very close. The
0: main events and facts are, are correct. There are some deviations with character and stuff like that, but
2: but what what i think is interesting is obviously this is like a thing that happened to, to with the british this has got nothing to do with america but i think like it, it's it's interesting cuz i think if this was like an american story hmm. and made in hollywood i think we're going to be we'd be seeing a much different movie absolutely cuz this feels like And I know it wasn't part of Hollywood, but it feels so not Hollywood. It's not.
0: It's very much not. And the the uh, climactic attack sequence of the film is really a good example of that. Yeah. Uh, Now we'll we'll discuss this much, but clearly this this attack sequence is famous for inspiring uh, many of the shots in the uh, trench run in Star Wars Episode Four. Yes. So but this movie's attack sequence is not your typical Hollywood action attack sequence. Now obviously it was made in nineteen fifty five, so it's it's certainly not going to be up to a Michael Bay esque level of detail. No, but I mean when we get, but I mean, even just like visuals aside, mm-hmm.
2: I think the visuals, you know, they're solid for 1955, like as, as much as they could accomplish at the time. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but the pacing of the scene mm. is really interesting because I wouldn't say it's like boring, but the way it's paced, it's more realistic. It's very realistic. It's That's what drawn what it's grounded
0: out. is what, what, what did it for me is I was yeah. absolutely enthralled with that sequence from start to finish because right. part of it is that there's almost no music in it yeah it's all like sound effects. it's all the drone of the planes and the sound effects of the guns going off and and yeah exactly and it's we're cutting
2: back and forth so this is this is the big this is the whole climax of the movies when they're dropping these bombs we're cutting back and forth between that and barnes wallace the guy yes. who um invented this yes. listening in uh to see if the mission was a not success. even
0: listening in they're standing in a room in front of a map and they're being relayed morse right. code to a, uh, a guy with a phone to a guy with a headset and a phone yeah and he is interpreting the, and they're just getting code words back, so they just know and positions and code words, so they yeah. know where they are. But they also will get code words when certain things happen.
2: Well, and I think this this scene, yeah, like you you, you said you were in trouble, I was too. I thought this whole like last like it's got to be like thirty minutes of the of the movie, last half hour, twenty five minutes at yeah. least, um, start to finish is just totally
0: engrossing, and it's so tense. Should we say something about the rest of the movie first before we get too deep on this? Because it's the rest of the movie's kind of meh. It's kind of like it's the work up to this. We see. I mean, let's. I mean, it, we don't have to go in order. I mean, that's we, we, that's true. we'll talk about the final sequence let's, here. Yeah. All right. Um,
2: because it's sequence. it's it's the big thing that everyone talks about when it comes to this movie. Uh, and interestingly, you said meh. You might might be a little disagreement here. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this whole thing, this whole sequence here is it's very tense. It's very engrossing like you said, and it's very slow but like in a good way. It's very realistic. Yep. And yeah, like you said, it inspired the trench sequence yes. in Star Wars. And when you told me that, yeah. I kind of expected like okay, there might be a couple things whatever. That fuck there's, like there's
0: at least one direct line copied sections of this. There, there's a moment in, in there where they're coming up and he says, uh, "Look up on the tower." There's about ten guns or something along those lines, and that's straight out of Star Wars. He says almost the I think he says the exact line in Star Wars when they're talking about the Death Star.
2: So I have three quick clips yeah. that I, I that reminded me. Of Star Wars, and it's hard to pick one because I could obviously pick visual yeah. clips, but um, just the visuals we should talk about their their outfits, like their masks and yeah. stuff, are very similar. The view looking and out of the doing plane, these
0: profile shots yeah. of the pilots as they're flying, like that's very you know Star Wars. Almost identical. Up on that,
2: um, they they're... even they
0: they call out their their call signs at one point.
2: Yeah, well we'll we'll hear we'll hear all that. So here here's just a few clips um, that made me think of Star Wars. There
1: it is, boys. Aggressive, aren't they? Someone's woken them up. What do you think about it, Bob? My goodness, it, it's big, isn't it? Do we really break that? How many guns do you think there are, Trevor? I see there's about ten guns. Some in the fields and some in the
0: some in so the field and some in the tower. Yeah.
2: yeah so that's the first one. Um, even just them going like, "Oh my God, it's huge." That kind of reminds me not only of the trench sequence, but even when they first see the Death Star in the first Star well, that, Wars. Movie. Again, that
0: line he literally says, "I see about twenty guns, some in the, some on the surface, and yeah. some in the towers." But
2: even in the first scene in Star Wars, when they when they're coming in in the Millennium yeah. Falcon and they see the Death Star, yeah. like that thing where he says, "Like that's huge." It yeah. just reminds me of that too. Yeah. Um, okay, here's the next one.
1: Beaver are you there? Okay, leader. Hello and mother. Are you there? I'm here, leader, here leader, here leader, here leader, here leader,
2: here leader. So that's of course the red leader standing by, red leader standing by, yeah. that's R2D2. Oh, okay. Um here's the last one. Good job, sir. Nice. Of course, that reminds me of the scene where, in the first movie, there's a scene where they actually think they nailed the Death Star. Yeah. And he's like, I got it! I got it! Negative. Yeah. It's a miss. Yeah. It's
0: it, yeah. it's right there! Yeah. George Lucas was definitely inspired by this. The other movie, yeah. I believe, is called uh, 633 Squadron.
2: Yeah, and uh, I believe he also pulled some stuff from uh, Tora 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 yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I, even 12 o'clock high, I bet.
2: Yeah, there's lots of like older war movies um, that George Lucas just li- loved as a yeah. as a fan and uh, and stole
0: from and, and, and in the best possible way, even yeah. though it's not realistic as far as space combat goes. Because you want yeah. the realistic space combat, go watch Babylon Five and see those uh, well ships flying around.
2: But I think here's the thing. I mean, not to get on Star Wars too much, yeah. but I think him using stuff from a movie like this, mm. like a like a real like a more realistic World War II movie, <clears throat> um it allows for like easier access of stuff mm. like star Wars. Cause people can watch it and be like, Oh, I get this.
0: It's just yeah. like, you know, it's this fantastic thing of space mm. fighters fighting this massive battle station, but it brings it down to a level. We understand, okay, yeah. there's, there's a hole in the ground. They got to fly down it. They got to fire a torpedo.
2: I actually think that's, that's, I actually think that's one of my, that's one of the hardest things I have with modern sci-fi.
0: Yeah. And actually the other, the other thing that really stands out to me in, in my mind is, so they have that, uh, coat hanger, uh, uh, guide they use they they it looks like a y they hold it up yeah and when they when the towers meet the pins that they're looking out then they drop the bomb Mm
2: because they're
0: 600 yards from it that kind of reminded me specifically of when when they're coming down the trench and the targeting computer's on and you see like the the sides of the targeting computer slowly moving in as it gets closer and closer and then eventually it locks on Mm -hmm. like it reminded me of that specifically those shots and also we can point out while we're still talking about star wars all the shots from the bombardier slot um, look straight out of a TIE fighter because it's got that round window uh, that clearly inspired what the, what, what the cockpits of uh, Imperial TIE fighters look like in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And,
2: okay, maybe I'm crazy, Jason. You are. But there was a part of the theme that almost reminded me of the medal ceremony in Star Wars. So the first clip you're going to hear is from the medal ceremony at Star, in Star Wars. And then the second clip is from a little snippet from the theme of the damn busters. Now it's not identical, but I do feel like John Williams pulled something from this. So let's just listen.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a tone, A, a tone. Uh, okay. not, not parody is another right word, but a tone tribute perhaps. To okay, because I thought I was crazy. Yeah. I was listening to you and being like, I, I've heard this before. It's that like, same kind of triumphant music, very similar in style, but, but then mixed with the Star Wars theme on the Star Wars end.
2: Yeah, yeah. It almost seems like in Star Wars it's sped up a little mm-hmm. too. Like it just, it has a yes. similar,
0: okay. I'm glad that I found someone that's. I, I agree with you. I did not notice that myself, but you make a, a compelling case. Thank you.
2: So let's talk about this movie. Uh, aside from the Star Wars and the trench sequence, because sure. we have our two, I guess, lead characters. It, this movie tricked me, by the way. Yes. Because I really thought, as as this movie starts, we we meet Barnes Wallace, the guy mm-hmm. who uh, invents the bouncing bomb, as it's called, uh, the scientific name. Um, and we meet his family and everything, and I really thought this was going to be basically centered on him. Yeah. And kind of. For about thirty-five minutes, yeah, and then we kind of get go to Richard Todd playing Guy Gibson, yeah. And I did, I, I did wonder about that, and I looked into a li- into it a little bit. And what I found out is that this movie was originally conceived as a star vehicle for Richard Todd, hmm. who plays Guy Gibson. Ah, so I wonder if that's a little remnants from that.
0: Yeah, that they had to kind of shoehorn him in as well. Not really shoehorn him because Guy Gibson is an important uh, character of in the story, absolutely. But uh, yeah, if they had to kind of like. Divide the attention because the story demanded it, and there was no way that Richard Todd was going to play that older character. No,
2: it do, it does feel though like it, it should be uh, like Wallace's movie, but yeah. then when the, when the shift happens, I was like, are we not going back to him? Because we don't go back to him
0: for a long time. Yeah, because we
2: have to learn that dog's name, Jason. Because ultimately, oh, uh, but we'll, ultimately, we'll this, this we'll movie this. is the
0: story of this raid from from the beginning of the bomb to the yeah. bombs
2: being dropped. And I mean, we start off the movie with uh, Wallace even like doing demonstrations in his home
0: with with his kids. Yeah, them doing doing some like preliminary data on on launching things across and yeah. taking notes and stuff, which is exactly how you figure that stuff out. You, you do it on a small scale at first, and then see if it translates to a larger scale.
2: What struck me in this movie too was there was some like humor that came out of, came out of nowhere mm. in some of the scenes. Yeah,
0: there were a couple funny lines.
2: Um, there was one. There was one especially. Uh, Well, I'll just play the scene because there's a scene in this movie that doesn't really tie into anything else. But so eventually we get to the stage where they're practicing flying low. Yes. Like because they're, you know, they're eventually going to go in and start blowing up the dams. And we cut to this man, like basically before the days where you would tweet, um, just writing an angry letter about all these low flying planes because he doesn't know what's going on, right? Yeah. And I just want to play this angry letter scene because it made me laugh.
1: As a poultry farmer doing his best in the food crisis, I wish to protest against the stupid young men who indulge in idiotic joyriding at all hours of the night. It may be good fun for them. It may be good fun for them. But I would point out that every time they come over our poultry houses, my ends lay premature eggs that drop off the perches and mess up the floor. This means a serious loss to both me and the country.
0: Well, I mean, and and that's the the crazy part, unfortunately, is that these guys are doing this training for a secret mission that they can't tell anybody about. And these poor people are suffering because they're getting buzzed by these friggin' bombers flying at incredibly low heights. So that that, it's not it's not crazy that their house is shaking. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah, I honestly thought, okay, so the 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 standard
2: movie fan in me. Thought that this was going to lead to a scene where um, his complaint got coverage, yeah, and then suddenly the Germans found out what they were planning. Yeah, <laughs> like that, that's that's exactly what my mind went to. We
0: were watching the BBC and we found out the plan.
2: <laughs> but did you know what's really interesting is the scene at the beginning where, um, where Barnes is testing out this uh, the bouncing bomb with his kids, like the little experiment, and he can't ever get it right. I wonder if that was based on real life because. Before writing this script, um, the writer actually met with Barnes at his home, and he actually asked him, like, can you show me the experiment? And he couldn't get it. Like, Barnes-Wallace could not remember what he did or figure out the calculations. (laughs) And apparently he he was just so embarrassed. Like, no matter how many times he tried, and he's like, I can't do it. So, I'm wondering if, like that opening scene, it's a little nod to that. Like just him like being like, "Yeah, it doesn't always work." yeah <laughs> um, and, and interestingly enough, too, just to add to that, uh, Guy Gibson's widow didn't even want this movie to come out. Wow. she uh, she took legal action, mm-hmm. and she basically um, they they were <laughs> and yeah, here's the thing. Um, the way it was resolved is they made references um, in the movie. I don't know what these references are. But apparently they made references to her husband's book, Enemy Coast Ahead. So I'm wondering if that that just sounds like she's trying to get some fucking advertisement for her husband's book in there. I don't remember that book being mentioned in the movie. I don't think they talk about the book,
0: but I think they reference things that he wrote in the book. Oh, maybe some of his lines were cribbed from the book, perhaps. I think so. Yeah, well, and but also this movie is weird. One of the historical inaccuracies of this movie, as I understand, is that Gibson isn't portrayed as he actually was. Based on people that actually work with Gibson, he was a quiet guy, but he was also known as a pretty strict disciplinarian. He was a loner. Mm-hmm. He wasn't one to socialize, whereas in this movie, he's portrayed as very friendly and gregarious and, and stiff upper lip and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he takes everything pretty much in stride throughout the movie, other than uh, the death of his poor, terribly named dog we'll get we'll get to it it's yeah. it's going to come um
2: yeah i would say and now i don't know if this is a hot take but i'm going to i'm going to drop it right now jason drop that bomb Brendan. <laughs> drop that bouncing bomb <laughs> hit as many targets as possible mm-hmm. um i don't think gibson is as interesting as barnes wallace no i don't think he's all that interesting i think of a you're character. right
0: because there's not much to him
2: now, the, the stuff with the dog aside... The stuff with I the think, dog aside, I think that's that's adds the one,
0: one bit of humanity, I yeah. suppose,
2: we really see in the character. I think that adds some dimension to him. But otherwise, like, I'm just...
0: Like, when it shifted to him, when the movie shifted to him, I was like, I kind of want to go back to Barnes. He feels like a stock character, but he's not even, like, cartoonishly stock. He's just kind of generically a stock character, rather than trying to make an interesting guy. Like, imagine if it had been about this brooding, grimy, like, kind of shitty guy that had to do this mission and pull it together and make it work, like... It sounds better, actually. I wonder if if the Peter Jackson movie should it ever actually happen or, or a new version of it would focus more on that about like Guy Gibson being this asshole. <laughs> I mean, there, I mean, it's definitely going to be a bit more, bit more Hollywoodized too.
2: Yes. Um, now Peter Jackson is also an interesting choice because this is a guy I feel like who would take chances a little bit though, yeah. uh, rather than someone like oh I don't know. Uh, like Michael Bay or something. You know what I mean? Like we don't want to Pearl Harbor this shit, Jason. No,
0: no, we don't really have to. Um, Yeah. I mean, and that's, what's kind of nice about this movie is it's not that like Pearl Harbor is a cool attack sequence, but there's so much going on. It's so intense. It's all over the place. If if you want to hear us talk about it, check out the, what were they thinking episode? Yeah.
2: Which that, Um, by the way, that episode is less than half of the movie's length. Absolutely. And we covered
0: everything. Yeah. We talked about everything (laughs) in explicit detail. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like, like that was, it's so over the top, but this feels, like I say, it's procedural, but it's, it's still tense Yeah, as it's going on. Like you feel like uh, you're kind of there waiting because so much of the military is the idea of hurry up and wait, right? So even when you're in a plane and you're heading toward a target, sounds
2: like being on a film set, by the way. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's like being on a, exactly. It's, it's even when you're uh, heading toward that target, they're flying low, they're doing this daring do flying, but even that is like, well, we're waiting. Because we're on this mission to do this one thing, and right. we have to wait all this time until we're ready to do it. Mm-hmm. So it helps give drive that home, and then you have that climactic moment of them making those attack runs finally. Well, yeah, and and,
2: and I mean, and talking about Gibson not being an interesting character, not being an interesting character, at least as far as I guess we're concerned. Yeah, um, except for the whole dog thing. Yeah. Uh, I think Barnes is a far more interesting uh, personality, and what I really. Now, uh, I don't know if I'm, maybe I'm looking too much into this, but I'm just going to drop this also, Jason. I've got some bombs to drop in, in the spirit of this episode. <laughs> All right. Um, I think there's a weird guilt thing going on. Burns, okay. You'd argue he is a blonde-haired, uh, light-eyed gentleman. I just assumed he was white-haired, but maybe he was blonde. It th- seemed to me like he was blonde. It just—he looks like the the vision of the perfect person, according the to Aryan me. scientist. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I'm like, I don't know. I, I had this weird feeling watching this movie, like, because he takes everything very harsh. Yeah. He takes everything very hard. Like when he finds out at the end of the movie about the the amount of you know, there were some casualties. Yeah. He is ruined. Like he just, it just ruins him. Even what though we, they accomplished this mission,
0: he is just like, no, wha? no, 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 no. What have I done? What we don't see, uh, which I would kind of like to have seen is how he would have reacted when he learned that blowing those dams killed uh, about 1600 people from the flooding mm-hmm. uh, that those dams caused, uh, including a lot of forced laborers who unfortunately were not there by choice. Well, Jason, that's
2: war, baby. According to 1942, they were German and evil.
0: Yes, absolutely. Nineteen wait, forty
2: three, forty one. It's Spielberg movie. Oh sure, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Um, but yeah, no, I just I, I don't know. I got this weird like su- like guilt thing from him. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, um, but not so much from uh, Gibson, which which I think would be realistic that this guy. If he wasn't such a friendly, gregarious, outgoing character and a little more, like, reserved and, and brooding, it would make more sense. But, yeah, like, this guy's been on a lot of missions. He's lost a lot of good people. He's not really phased by the fact that damn near half of the guys that went out didn't come back. Right. That's just part of the job.
2: Well, because he's, he's – I'm sure he's been on worse. and He's year, had worse outcomes. And
0: a year after this raid happens, he gets his and dies in 1944. Yeah. So this is – this is one of the things about being a pilot in this – in really any war is uh, – and we see it throughout the movie. Like pilots generally live better than other soldiers. So like they get beds. They live in barracks. They get a good – good, you know – uh, good food they get to eat in a cafeteria around a table with their buddies but it's because they when they go up in those planes the chances of them coming back are very slim or or, or much slimmer than if you were maybe in the infantry or or on a naval vessel like right so it, it's a huge risk they take every day and i salute them for their balls but man that but it, it i guess multiple point was that turns you into a hard man in the way that it doesn't uh, like Wallace is a scientist. Like everything for him is theoretical. So when he gets the real results of his science at his doorstep, that's shocking to him. Yeah, because exactly. that's real life results. Yeah, it makes everything practical. Yeah, it makes um, everything like kind of come home to him. I
2: do want to uh, play a clip of Barnes of Barnes talking to. Uh, I guess he's just. Talking to his doctor, his family doctor at the beginning of the movie. Um, but it's interesting because he's talking to him about the um, the way to, to kind of take out this dam. Because I guess he's just got to tell someone. He's just there and no one's listened to him, right? So he's t- telling him and uh, at the same time, it, it, another thing that reminded me of Star Wars. <laughs> Here we go.
3: Do you know how much water it takes the Germans to make a ton of steel? I haven't the least idea. 100 tons. Now just look at this. The whole of this great arsenal of war factories in the Ruhr depends for its water on three enormous dams. The Myrna, the Eder, and the Zorpa. They control the level of the canals and supply a lot of hydroelectric power as well. When those are full, they hold 400 million tons of water. Just think of the chaos if we could break those walls down. Now, ah, this is what I wanted to do. Drop a 10-ton bomb from 40,000 feet that would seal itself in the roots of the wall. Well, the shock waves would be tremendous. A real earthquake. But could you hit a target that size from eight miles up? Well, I reckon that a near miss, even 50 feet, would do the job. Is there an airplane that would carry a 10-ton bomb? No, but I was going to design one. What happened? Well, uh committee was set up and we went into it but in the end i discovered i hadn't made sufficient allowance for the cushioning effect of the water we should need a 30 ton bomb and that's too heavy for any aircraft we could produce at present sugar no thanks oh carry on well just a little but you know barnes i still don't see why you need such a special bomb Look, this dam's about a hundred and twenty feet thick solid masonry all through We've just proved that a bomb twenty times the size of the biggest bomb now in use wouldn't even tickle it. Besides, we can't float anything down the lake because they've got these two huge booms stretching right across it. We can't even get it under the water because these booms support thick steel nets, which would stop a flotilla of submarines, let alone torpedoes. As I see,
2: in that scene, yeah. So the scene that reminds me of Star Star Wars, and maybe it's more visual, but he has that diagram, Mm -hmm. and it reminds me of you know when they show how they did. Shoot the Death yeah, Star. Yeah, when they
0: down. show that, that mo- or not CG, but like animated scene of you yeah. know, the Death Star, the bomb going down and exploding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: So it reminded me of that. Um, and also, I, I think one thing I was worried about when watching this movie is being confused. Yeah. Because I, I know you're a big history buff. I, I don't know a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I was worried a little bit about the mechanics of this movie and if I was even going to be able to follow most of what was going on. Yeah. But the way they lay that out is very clear. Yeah. Like, this is what needs to happen. These bombs have to bounce to get to their target. Um, it has to be this big, but planes can only carry this big. So I'm trying to, and it, it just it just yeah. made sense to me. They explained it in a way that was like not like layman's terms, but enough to like get it.
0: And because of the Official Secrets Act, they actually actually left out a bunch of details. Yeah, that they could have explained, uh, but they weren't because they weren't was, allowed to.
2: Yeah, because this is only 12 years after the after the actual campaign, the actual raid. Yeah, yeah.
0: So stuff was still classified. The weapon system was still classified. And actually, I'll, I'll take this opportunity to mention this. So if you'll notice in the movie. Uh, when you see the bombs being dropped, they look animated. So my thought was that they had planes flying low over for the footage and then they animated a bomb in and then used like explosions in the water, like a charge or something in the water to blow the water up so that it would look like the bomb was bouncing. That seemed to make sense to me. But then I learned later that no, the footage we were watching was actual test footage of those bombs, but they had animated over top of them because they were still classified. Yeah. And they didn't want to give away the actual like like uh, uh, look of those bombs. Um, as well, we don't see the mechanism for providing the backspin, which was one of the key things about how this thing worked, is that they actually had it on a roller underneath the plane, and it was going at, I think, 500 RPM with the backspin, so that when it hit the water, it would slow down, and that would allow the plane to get out of the way, and then it would bounce to where they needed it to, and then the backspin itself would allow it to stay flush against the wall of the dam as it sunk under the water, and then once it got down to the proper depth, explode. Isn't that, like, so
2: interesting? That's fascinating. Because like, like, I wondered the same thing. Yeah. Like, why are we seeing this weird blotchy circle? And yeah. then I, I expected, oh, it's like, that's what they could do with special effects yeah. at the time. But Be- yeah, Because no. some
0: of the other special effects we see are very much that, like, hand-drawn on the frame, like, especially yeah. when the bullets, we see bullets being fired at the planes and stuff. Which,
2: I mean, again, 1955, yeah. that's what they had. That's what they had to do. But, no... Uh, yeah reading that i was like that's crazy we're watching real footage and because it was so recent yeah world war ii when this movie came out was recent Yeah, it was still fresh in people's memories a lot of people that saw this movie were fucking there people that um, were people that survived world war ii could have still
0: been like 30 yeah easy enough like or in their 20s and what's interesting too is that after that raid um because we see a number of planes crash uh, because a bunch did um, now uh, one of the planes we see crash didn't actually happen uh, we see a plane crash into the side of the mountain which is a pretty harrowing scene but that didn't actually happen the the, the other plane crashed into some wires it, cra- it was just less interesting for sure visually yeah. crashing into some electrical wires. less dramatic less dramatic and, and for some reason that specific scene was added into the north american cut of the movie and i don't know why Got to take down the British one peg at a time. Yeah, I, know, I guess so. You, you know, see him crash into a mountain. It's so fun.
2: But but the guy, but the plane that crashes in the ground. Yeah. Um, that also reminded me of Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the way because it when, when the guy goes down, and he's like, ah, yeah. he like crashes into Death Star. But by mo- the way, oh, I, hold on, I have to tell you something that's going to blow your mind because yeah. I just read this. I wrote it down. Um. <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but gilbert taylor okay okay he so he was responsible for special effects photography on the damn
0: busters mm-hmm. was the s- director of cinematography for star wars there you go so george george not only scribbed the style he got the guy he stole the guy he stole the fucking guy gilbert gilbert taylor absolutely i'd love to shoot movies that's all he says. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but what I was going to say is that one of those planes that crashed in real life was retrieved by the Germans because the plane crashed and killed the pilots and crew and everything, but it didn't destroy the plane. And more importantly, it, it uh, uh, one of the bombs that it was carrying was undetonated. Oh. So the Germans got a hold of it and started to uh, look into it and try to figure out how to use it themselves. And they were building their own versions of it and testing it, but they couldn't get it to work right because the, the, the bomb would... Stay the same speed as the plane as they were going, and it's because they didn't understand how important the backspin aspect of that bomb was, they just didn't know. And so, they built like this complicated, like rocket fired system to try to get the bomb to slow down. Uh, but it never worked right, thank god. Yeah, which uh, I mean, and also, they would have to use it in very spe- specific circumstances because it's a very specific, purpose built bomb, and I'm pretty sure that I don't know that it was ever used again. Just because it was such a very specific circumstance that they used this weapon for.
2: Well, and that's why we we do see a little bit of like the bureaucracy of this whole thing. Yes. We talk about bureaucracy a lot in this podcast, I feel, and I feel yeah. like the the biggest thing was
0: Brazil. Yeah. Um
2: but this is a lie in this movie, yes, apparently.
0: Absolutely, yeah. No, uh, uh Wallace didn't have any more opposition, I think, than anybody else would in that job. No. You know, he had friends that were supportive of the project and he had people that didn't think it were a good idea, and it was just the typical thing that anybody uh, who was you know designing weapons for the government would have to go through. Uh, it wasn't that he was being kept down by the man. No, <laughs> this <is> poor blonde haired. <laughs> but being kept down by the gentleman. man a little bit makes for a much better story, doesn't it? True. Yeah, it gives him much more of a goal. He also said that
2: because um, there's a there's a part of this movie where he's basically being told like, you know, oh we have to go through this and we have to go through that and they're not comfortable with this and he says, well what if you told them that I designed the plane that we're going to use, because in the movie he does. Yes. In real life, though, he was heavily involved with the design of the Wellington, the plane that they end up using, um, but he was not actually its chief designer. So he
0: was not the guy. He just helped. But you know what? I, I'm willing to allow that slide, because it's close enough. I mean, if he was involved in the design to say that he designed it, I mean, he's not too far off. Well, then how about this, Jason?
2: How about the fact that... Um, his whole thing about blowing up the dams was not even really his idea. He mm-hmm. didn't bring that to the forefront. Yeah. That had always been a target uh, of yeah. the air ministry before Obviously. the war. Or, it's
0: a, dams, yes, absolutely. Yeah. As far as infrastructure goes, if you can blow a dam, that's a big—that's a blow. That's a big blow. I—if I, you want to go through some more historical Ooh. stuff, I got some notes
2: here. Yeah. Um, another. Now, this is—I love this scene in the movie, but it's total fiction. But I really like the scene is when they go to a live performance. Gibson and the rest of the crew they go to like a dance like yeah. a dance hall basically and uh Gibson takes notes of the spotlights and, and- First, first, Again, the Hollywood movie viewer yeah. in me thinks, oh, there's going to be a girl there. He's going to he's gonna sh- hook up with her. Yeah. She's going to be like, oh, don't go on this mission. And she's going to be all sad and she's going to be all happy when yeah. he comes back. Nope. No, no, that's not what it is. He sees the spotlights and he gets the idea of like, oh, if we're doing this at night, which we have to drop the bomb at night, why don't we come up with this spotlight thing um, so we can actually see where we're dropping it? Now, this is, this is not something he devised. Um, this is actually suggested by a man named Benjamin Lockspear, hmm. which is a great name. That's a good name. Um, uh, after After Gibson basically said we need to, we need to come up with something. That was the guy that actually came up with it, and it was a, a method that was already being used for some time.
0: I've heard it described as by the boffins at Farnsborough. <laughs>
2: Wallace also And I, actually I want to play I want to play this scene first Because this is a scene Where they, they They take shots At a lot of superiors In this movie mm-hmm. And this is a scene Where his Wallace's superiors Are very happy Because he finally had A successful test Of this bomb But then when he references Kind of where he got The idea from You can hear it They don't give a shit Yeah but, And I just want to play this clip Because I think it's, it's Kind of subtly funny
1: Well I must say That was wonderful. I'm immensely wonderful. relieved Never believed it possible Do you smoke Wallace? I'll get through to the factories tonight and give them the green light. Uh, will there be any final instructions for them? No, not now. Just tell them to go right
3: ahead on the same specifications they were given last week. Well, Mr. Wallace, it must be a wonderful feeling to achieve a thing like this. To conceive something absolutely unheard of and carry it through with flying colors. How on earth did you ever get the idea? Well, well to be quite honest, it isn't really my idea at all. I I got it from Nelson. Nelson, you say? Yes, he discovered that under certain conditions he could get more destructive results from his cannonballs by making them ricochet off the sea before hitting the enemy ships. Usually he pitched them quite short, about uh, two-thirds of the way between his guns and the target. But uh, there is some evidence to suggest that during the Battle of the Nile, he he
2: dismissed the French flagship with a Yorker. So I just like how they don't give a shit. Yeah. But also... um, not true.
0: Yeah, there's <laughs> no evidence as far as we know that he ever said that or believed that. And I don't or know that it even happened. Or the, Yeah, there's even yeah. evidence that, that, that Nelson used a Yorker or a short shot to and the, uh, do that. The last one
2: I have, and maybe there's more, but this is the last one I have anyway, um, is in the movie, Wallace tells Gibson, at the very last minute, there's a mechanical problem with the release gear right hmm. before they're about to go out. And then at the last second, he's like, okay, they, they, they've they got the oil. They found they they had the correct oil in the store. We're good to go. We're on our way. Um, this, is, uh, this is false in the sense that Barnes-Wallace did not solve this problem. There was another guy yeah. who's, of course, not credited. It's a real chariots of fire situation. Or yeah. no, is it, is it chariots of fire? Wait. Oh, my God. I, it's something on my other podcast. Ah. It's a real fifteen seventy to Paris situation, Jason, <laughs> where there was a fourth guy that they don't even talk about. Wow. Except in that movie, hilariously, when they get to the real footage of the awards ceremony at the end. And there's four guys? Yeah, because you're watching it like, who the fuck is that guy? (laughs) I didn't see him in the movie. It's like the damn dig.
0: They cut a whole character out. Ridiculous. (laughs) It's like, what? Uh, Yeah, okay. Um, The only real other things I have to say beyond what you just said. Hmm. uh, So the Moan Breach flooded substantially. It, uh, they destroyed a power station at the dam, which we actually see happen in the attack. It's in front of the dam. Yeah, I think when that one skips over. <laughs> um, so yeah, they they do breach that dam. It's a pretty big hole. Floods in the local area. Kills in the range of 1,600 people, including forced laborers and civilians. Uh, the breach at the Edersee kills about 70 people as i understand and does a bunch of damage and they manage to damage the other dam but not actually destroy it yeah they do destroy two of them yeah they, yeah. they hit two of them that's interesting two and three ain't bad as meatloaf once said <laughs> and i won't do that um <laughs> What's cool is that,
2: and I know this is a true story, but the fact that they destroyed two of the three, yeah. and they're like, we did we did pretty good. Yeah. That seems also super un-Hollywood. Yeah. Like, in a Hollywood movie, you destroy all three. You, gotta, you have a rah, all, rah, yeah. rah. The guy gets the girl. There's fucking porn stars
0: show up in a helicopter. People are fucking in a tent. But, yeah, so the, the destructions of the dam would only be temporary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the biggest effect of what this did beyond the flooding and the, and the civilian deaths and forced laborer deaths, what it did is divert something along the lines of 7,000 forced laborers from building the Atlantic Wall. Now, for you non-history folks out there, there was a war, and it was called World War II. We oh. were fighting these bad people called Nazis. Oh. And these bad people called Nazis invaded Europe. And one of the first things they did after they uh, invaded France was start and Norway and various other countries was start setting up this series of defenses along the European coast. Called the Atlantic Wall, it was a bunch of like pillboxes and artillery guns. Uh, You know, it was whether it was actually a useful idea or not is debatable, but it was there. And this um, this attack drew a bunch of laborers and resources from building that wall. Which, you know, may very well have helped later in, you know, a year later when we, uh, when our boys invaded at Normandy. Mm. So maybe the Atlantic Wall wasn't built up quite as high. I mean, we did lose a lot of people in that operation. You've seen Save and Private Ryan. You know what happens. They get, get on the beach. They get cut down by machine guns. It was a rough time. But yeah. the, the dam busters probably helped make that easier than it would have been. Okay. So that's pretty damn cool. Pretty
2: damn cool. Uh, uh, they do make a reference to Dunkirk at the beginning of the movie, yes. too, which I thought was interesting. Which Did they mentioned
0: Dieppe as well?
2: No, just Dunkirk, okay. which for some reason my uh, subtitles uh, decided to spell D-U-N-Q-U-I-R-K or something oh, like that. Oh, that might
0: actually be the French way of spelling it since it is in Maybe. France. That's possible. I feel like the D-U-N-K-I-R-K is the, the English pronunciation.
2: Um, by the way, that remake we were talking about... Uh, It was originally going to be – the rights had been bought originally by Mel Gibson. Um, And then basically in 2004, Peter Jackson got a call from his agent and said, yeah, Gibson dropped the rights. Like he doesn't want it anymore. So they've been trying to make this since the mid-'90s. And they've really been trying to make this since 2005. So if you're out there waiting for this remake – Maybe don't hold your breath. I don't know. I feel like it's got to happen eventually. It's an easy thing to do. It it feels like it would be a cool thing to do with modern technology. Yeah. Yeah. You get an Australian to make a British
0: film? But they'll put a lady in there they will they'll uh, be a love interest. They'll have to put that in. I kind of hope they do because this is a very very, a very, very... This is a sausage party of a movie. <laughs> yeah. that is, there's no question. Ursula Jeans, is like you say, is only there for a cup of coffee and then it's gone. She's the third one credited in the yeah. cast. So I was like waiting for her to come back. Speaking of cast credits, did you notice that ahead of the title card, not only are both of our actors credited, they're credited with their character names uh their character names and their rank and their ranks yeah which is cool because they're real people and it's nice to know out of the gate uh from a filmgoer's perspective okay this is the name of who these people are but then they immediately go into the other cast and they don't bother to no. credit them no. even well, though that would be again incredibly useful well those are our two leads i guess right yeah, i suppose jason
2: we need to talk about one part of this movie that we didn't even touch yet. yeah we were saving this
0: um
2: i do have the clip yeah, I will warn anybody listening right now. This is from the movie. I have not altered it in any way. No. This uh, we will talk about the context directly after. But let's just listen to this clip. This is um, this is uh, um, Gibson, huh, Mel Gibson. This is Gibson coming back. You think Mel Gibson
0: remade this? He would have just played himself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it would have been him in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. With his dog's name for sure. <laughs> No question. Well, now you know, folks. This so, is- so just a trigger warning for casual use of racist terminology. Ahead. Yeah, may not age so well. Uh, but Gibson
2: is coming back from a uh, from wherever, and I think he, he and his team just did a mission not long ago. Yes. And he's coming out, and this guy is there with his dog, and he is very happy to see his dog, as we all would
0: be. Nigger, come
1: on, boy. Come on, nigga! Come on, come on, nigger. Come on up, fella. Well, you won't have to wait for me for a long, long time. No, you won't. Going on holiday. Down to Cornwall. Rabbits. Rabbits, boy. Come on, Skipper. You'll miss the bus. Okay. Come on, nigga. Come on, boy.
2: Okay. Yeah. So. So that's the dog's name. That is the dog's name in the the film. The dog, by the way, is a black lab. He's a black lab. He That that was the real dog's name. Mm. That was Gibson's dog's name. It was apparently a common name yes. for dogs in the 50s. There were other famous
0: dogs with that name.
2: Yeah, um, in the early part of the 20th century. Now, Jason, obviously this doesn't fly today. And no. If they were
0: to remake this movie, I'm all for changing the name. I, I think that maybe they, the dog's there and they just don't talk about him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean he, he's important because he was their unit mascot and... You know, there there, there is something romantic because this is literal fact that as it is portrayed in the movie that that the dog was killed uh, the night before the raid. Yes. He was hit by a car and uh, Wing Commander Gibson asked that he be buried at midnight so that he was buried at the same time that the raid was going down. Mm Mm-hmm. And I guess, I don't know if this was specifically to him or this just happened to come up in the rotation, but one of the code words they use is also the dog's name to indicate that the dams have been blown. Mm. Yes. So that's a thing in this movie that's kind of lurking in the background. Now, interestingly, in the American version, even back then, it was dubbed over to trigger because as we know, uh, in American culture, that word has slightly more... Uh, especially in 1955, had a much more heated uh, 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 implication oh. than it did in Britain. Oh, especially in the fifties, because yeah. yeah. were—they were, they were going. Like, this was, was the... like during the time of like the Selma bus boycott and yeah. like, the civil rights. There was Movement, a whole really picking up
2: steam period of change yeah. going through the U.S. at that point. But I mean, in Britain now, it's hard for me to say because I wasn't alive at the time. Mm-hmm. But I believe in Britain from what I've read, anyway. Yeah. Th- this
0: did not have the same context no the, because the British and let, let, let's make no mistake the British were, were at least as racist as Americans of course. but in many ways they weren't as aggressively open with their racism they had different or it was, words it was their actions that more that was more uh, rese- representative they, of their racism they, they used more more uh, flavorful words they certainly did and that particular word I believe was more generic on their part for just about any person who had darker skin uh, yeah. but what was interesting and I didn't think of this but watch I, I was reading an article that mentioned the idea of how racism was different in britain because in britain questions of status ultimately superseded questions of race so regardless of of your race if you were a west african prince you know you were of a higher status than a a, a white boot uh black mm-hmm. i don't know why i said boot black for like but, but you know like 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 a, a poor a poor person a poor like white a, person was definitely under like a, west like a white prince. like a white like shoe shiner yeah exactly okay. uh, a boot black but uh <laughs> But yeah, and I wonder if that had something to do with it. And as we know from stories of World War II, black soldiers from America that were stationed in England often found that they had a much easier time there because locals were much more open to them and, you know, engaging with them and inviting them for dinner and things like that in a way that would have been unheard of back home, especially in the Deep South. I will say it's unfortunate that this kind of... and I understand it's history.
2: Yes. But I do will say it is, it is unfortunate this kind of lingers over uh, the movie because I do feel that
0: stops it from... It does. ...hitting more... Well, and with modern ears, that sticks out like a sore thumb, yeah. to say the, say the least. It is shocking to hear that uttered in that way in 2020. But again, I understand the history of it, so it's not like it offends me particularly, but I can understand maybe not wanting to show that movie to certain... Uh, uh, young people or (laughs) yeah at the same time i can
2: totally understand someone hearing that and being like fuck this turning it off yeah exactly uh, totally understandable um you mentioned that in in america they did censor this word also it in britain um in 1999 they aired this film on itv uh british television network and they actually did broadcast a censored version of the movie with all instances of this name removed
0: um i mean that's the thing is it would be very easy
2: to do but when they did this, um, they were criticized by some people as uh, the censorship as being unnecessary and ridiculous. Which mm. I don't know. I, I feel like it's fine, honestly. Like, like
0: I, yeah, it doesn't bother me. But I can understand why a station might not want, especially maybe if the movie is airing at like seven or eight o'clock, didn't yeah. want to drop that on everybody. No, no, no,
2: no. I mean, I think it's fine that they t- cut it. Mm. That they, I don't. I'm not saying. I think they should
0: just leave it in. If hey, they hey, want to cut I'm, it. I'm always supportive of any time a station wants to air a movie on cut. We sound like Absolutely. the It's, hey, I'm not saying. <laughs> I'm supportive of any time a, stu- um, a station wants to air a movie on cut. That's their business, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that maybe it's not the best idea depending on when you air it. There's there's also a difference between
2: dropping in like 20 F-bombs and that Yeah,
0: that's that's a little different. Uh, It's interesting because before the podcast, Brendan, you showed me an SNL clip uh, from a very bad uh, sketch in SNL where they dropped the N-bomb. A white man dropped the N-bomb. And of course, the audience was completely silent, and that's even to make fun of that kind of person. Yeah, to make fun of that kind of person, but it's it's it so didn't that? so didn't go yeah. over, and no. that that is shocking. I'm surprised the Comedy Network aired it because it was clearly a rip from the Comedy Network channel. In the no, no censorship 90s whatsoever. 2000s, but yeah,
2: um, I feel like if it was aired now, that would not make it. the mm, cut. Mm. <laughs> But uh, that old sketch
0: would go, Brendan. Let's be real.
2: <laughs> so in America, they actually changed the name of the dog to Trigger. Yeah. Um, so, just wanted to mention that. Um, so, and then later on, so this also aired on TV in like 2018. They did show it in full, but they did have a warning before the film mm. saying it was historical and that some might find it racially. Offensive, yeah.
0: So I mean, maybe that's the best way to go about it. I, I've always believed that. I appreciate having something. It's what uh, like on the uh, Looney Tunes Golden DVDs. Um, yeah, they have Willard malton do an introduction and provide some context before some of the more uh, racist cartoons are
2: aired. Honestly, Disney does it now too. Yeah. Um, if you look at a lot of the stuff on on Disney Plus, um, they say this is a product of of the time.
0: And I would rather they do that than edit the cartoons, as they have done sometimes. There's one specific cartoon I can think of where Goofy is smoking a cigarette that they edit <laughs> the cigarette. Out. oh i was thinking of much worse things <laughs> but yes no oh absolutely i mean you dig into some of those so-called lost cartoons yeah there's some mm. some a- uh, contemporary attitudes that don't hold up now
2: and uh just want to uh, adding to this in 2005 they actually interviewed richard todd and he was said, still alive was he still alive and they asked him about the name of the dog <laughs> and whether a remake of the movie should retain the name and he said this with political correctness, which is a new concept of a way of life in this country, and I think all over the world, it didn't exist when we made the original film. So N-word was N-word, but nowadays you can't say that sort of thing. <laughs> so he was all for just keeping it in, baby. Old no. people, man. <laughs> um, and this is a big point of contention about the remake, too, because Peter Jackson, this was what he said, It's not our intention to offend people. But really, you're in a no-win, damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Yeah. If you change it, everything's gonna, everyone's gonna whine and whine about political correctness. And if you don't change it, obviously you are offending a lot of people inadvertently. Yeah. We haven't made any decisions about what we'll do, and then Stephen Fry chimed in and said, "Yeah, we're gonna call him like Digger." Um, there was another name I'm not gonna say because it's very close. <laughs> it's too, it's uncomfortably close to what it was in the 1955 film. Um, and the ex- executive producer of the remake, I don't know if you know this, Jason, but the executive producer was David Frost. Oh. Like, a.k.a. Frost Nixon. Wow. Um, and he basically said, you know, he came up with the name that's a little too close to the real yeah. name. Um, here, I'll just show you right there. I'm not going to say that, Jason. Oh, yeah, no, that's not good either. <laughs>
0: okay. That's almost worse. <laughs> right? It's almost <laughs> worse because like, I know it's, what you want to say. It's, it's certainly a British spin on that terrible word. Yeah. Um...
2: And yeah, they never really, yeah. Then Stephen Price said it'd be Digger, so they've never really made a decision either way. And I, I mean, crazy as it may sound, I think that held up the movie in a little way. Yeah,
0: yeah, I bet you that's an issue, and it's, and it's too bad. I mean, uh, it, it's a shame they can't just tell this story. And I mean, because but the thing is, is that the dog will figure into it because it is an important part of the story. It's I mean, you can't cut the idea of the dog dying and then being laid to rest while the while the rape was going on. Also, fun fact: um, Up until July of 2020, no. uh, 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 our beloved dog here had a headstone at Brighton Air Force Base, and it had like a it had his name on it, and it had a commemoration of him. I don't know whether they've removed the headstone or if they've just removed the name, but uh, yeah, so that. that but see been... that that's I understand why people. I, I want it's, that dog to be
2: remembered. It's just a shame that that's his name. <laughs> yeah, it's the whole thing of, like, you know, statues, right? Yeah. It's like, I, I get it. The, the dog is not a monster. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, the name. Yeah, I get that they want to remember the dog. But, like, put a description of what the dog did. Yeah. You don't necessarily was. have to say his name. Say he belonged to Guy Gibson, something along those lines. Yeah. We don't need to have that out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. it's just—it seems like I mean, fuck the statues, take them all down. Yeah. But it seems like it's just like a weird—I it, it,
0: don't know. We need to part, put start putting up statues to ideas and not people. Maybe that's the plan. Well, or at least, statu- or at least not Confederates. Why isn't there a statue of, like Harriet Tubman? Yeah, well, that—that's nobody can argue with that. Well, actually, some people can, but they're assholes, so fuck them. Well, they can, but it doesn't
2: mean they're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, man, there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie. Um, hmm. let, let's go through some of our. Um, bits
0: bits and bits
2: and bobs and bobs now just to throw another star wars thing in here jason because i know we talked about uh, barnes wife yeah she has the princess leia buns
0: <laughs> she does doesn't she, she I, does i thought they looked familiar i was like are they i didn't because i wasn't thinking of star wars at that point it was later when i saw some of the shots that included more of the star wars end of it but wow yeah yeah crazy she, she
2: has total leia buns
0: that's that's nuts
2: there are some fun transitions too. I like when he's um he's being told he's they're going to give him two weeks, hmm. and then there's a line later where it's like, well, it's been five months. I hope he came up with something
0: like, <laughs> One thing I noticed in this movie that I didn't like initially, and thankfully it doesn't happen very often but the the way the betting music was in the early scenes where he's talking to like his wife or the kids or something, and it's it's just this bad forties underneath betting music, and it's indicative to me like. Hot take here, but I didn't really like generally how this movie looked. Oh, okay. I I found it very like it was fine. It was absolutely serviceable to what they were trying to do, but like most of the movie was very just almost play like and how it was shot. It was very much standard two shots. Yeah, wasn't a whole lot of like interesting stuff done with lighting. Cinematography was not a cinematography was sure. not the strong suit of this movie. I, However, once you get into the attack sequence, that's where you see all the creativity in the movie as Mm -hmm. far as like different shots and everything. It's yeah. But yeah, overall, like, like the, the general, like this movie felt very, like it was, it was serviceable for what it was trying to do, but it didn't really take any like risks on that. David Lean did not make this movie. No. what I'm saying. No. No. It also
2: was not three hours long, so. Well, I mean, he also made Brief Encounter. That's true. That wasn't three, but
0: hours that long. was called Brief Encounter. He would look like a real fool if he'd have put it in a three-hour movie called Brief Encounter.
2: Well, no, he can either make Brief Encounter be an hour and a half, or he can make it be three hours. He can't make it be like an hour and fifty-eight hey, minutes. Don't
0: you understand the meaning of the word irony, my boy? You can't put it in the middle. No. You can't have it be a two-hour movie. No, fuck that. Um. Yeah, well, I mean, the visual effects are nice, I think. Yes, the visual effects, though, I will say, for the time, it's impressive what they managed to do. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that a lot of them are animated, but it doesn't matter. It, give, it gets the point across. Ooh. One of the smaller historical inaccuracies is that we see a lot of bullets coming at the planes, but, but the Germans in these situations would have probably used flak, which I have to assume would have been much more difficult to try to uh, animate. Uh, puffs of smoke like that, especially at night, rather than just straight up tracer fire, which looked much better on screen. It
2: honestly, it looks like the lasers from Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's, pre- it's it's predecessing that stuff, yeah. so to
0: speak. If predecessing is a word, does that work?
2: Well, we'll I'll allow it. Okay, thank you. Come to order. Sustained. I object.
0: Uh, yeah. Watch yourself, counselor.
2: Find me guilty. <laughs> Done. Vin Get Diesel with hair. Check it out.
0: Hey. Remember when he did the Sewer Sharks video? I sure do. He's great. Yeah,
2: nothing wrong with him.
0: Did um, so you get Vin Diesel in the remake of this? <laughs> Doing a British accent. Okay,
2: I'm going to ask you now, because I did have that question written down. Sure. Who would you actually cast in the remake of this movie? That's, I did. I wish I had more time to think of this. Um, I just want to spring that on you. Well, Would it help if I go first? Sure, you, you go first. Okay. I think Barnes-Wallace. Okay, Oh, I had someone, and then I totally, totally lost it. I think Burns Wallace if he's like an older gentleman, I think maybe like, uh, like a Michael Sheen, yeah, type fella, or maybe he's he's got the glasses and and the look. If this is American, I would just say Ryan Gosling and be done with yeah, it. Yeah, well, or so. or at least Ryan Gosling as Guy Gibson maybe. Yeah, oh
0: okay. yeah, he could definitely pull off Guy Gibson. Better.
2: Um, but yeah, so I I don't know. I think like maybe like a Michael Sheen type. Um, and as for, as for Guy Gibson. I mean, hmm. Wow. I don't know. You know what? Wow. Now that i think about it, maybe Barnes, uh, Hugh Laurie would be an interesting choice of Barnes. Yeah. He's got that kind of dry, like, I mean, he's got that dry, sarcastic wit, mm. but he's also, I mean, he kind of has that in this movie, but he's also just a great actor.
0: He is, absolutely. I, I think I would go with Hugh, uh, uh, Hugh Grant for uh, uh, Barnes. That would be an interesting take. Yeah, I think I think he's the right age. He could pull that off. That seriousness, get some humor into it a little could bit. could add a little bit of humor. I think he would work with those those scenes of him like oh it does not work, you know, and he's he's fretting about like how things <laughs> are going to go. Like, I just like picture, oh I know I know exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I just picture him going oh d- oh dear am oh, very very nervous. Uh, I just want to say that the bouncing bomb is is, is it's great it's it's, it's, it's it's a great thing. And uh, uh, oh d- oh dear oh dear I've soiled myself.
0: And I I think how uh, dare you not right I, I don't, don't think he's right. British because his name is French and he's probably American but if he could do a British accent I'd want to hire somebody like Timothy Chalamet to play Gibson and the reason I want that is because I don't think enough war movies reinforce how young uh, a lot of these people were these pilots like I think Guy Gibson was like 20 he was like 27 or something, maybe. I don't like, know why, but for some reason I thought
2: you were going to say Timothy Spall. Timothy Spall,
0: yeah, oh yeah, sure, Timothy Spall, yeah, he can, I can play a young boy. <laughs> you remember me in life is sweet. But if but if you could get more people, like especially officers that look like they're kids, that look like they're teenagers, to drive home the fact that this is a young man's war, well, I mean, for old did,
2: man's purposes. They did that well in Dunkirk, and they yes, had um, absolutely, uh, Harry Styles, Harry Styles, yeah. who did
0: a great job. Yes, he was great, man, for sure. But yeah, Hugh Grant and Timothy Chalmay or somebody as as lithe and and uh, uh, boyish, mm. maybe uh, maybe an Asa Butterfield, or or even if we give him maybe a year or two, uh, a Finn Wolfhard. Yeah, I, I actually thought uh,
2: Gibson. It would have been interesting. I and I know he's passed away since you know he's passed away, but Anton Yelkin would have been a fun. Yeah. uh he's kind of a, he's has got like a younger charismatic guy yes i
0: will fly the plane
2: kipton i have some bad news for you jason oh. that's not his real accent oh.
0: i thought he was a russian man <laughs> nope <laughs> the dog drank beer Wait, which is real which is a real fact a real the dog like beer and i think dogs like beer i think dogs will drink whatever you put in front of them we should give cleo some beer uh we should not she would love it uh, she might she's our mascot dog now cleo the <laughs> for screening country mascot dog <laughs> cleo. she's also a black lad and cleo should we change her name No. (laughs) Okay. I forgot
2: the name for a second. I contemplated it in my head. And then when I realized, my brain imploded. Yes. (laughs) Um... Can we we also just get back to the dog for just a second because... He's a cute boy. He is a cute dog. Um, And I will say that this last week's movie made me cry. Mm. This movie got me close. Yes. Because there is a scene here. So when Gibson is told that his dog dies, he's very stiff upper lip. Um, He doesn't really react a whole lot. And at first you're like, wow, what an asshole. But then you kind of realize, oh, he can't really show too much emotion, Mm. right? Mm. But then later on when he's in his office and he is like picking up a piece of paper and he sees like the collar, the leash... Mm oh that's a tough tough moment and he sees the scratches on the door and then he and then he just like he puts the leash in the trash can
0: mm. and that's like so, so sad I, I see what you're saying but but that scene did not affect me i really? did not feel much emotional connection to this movie oh. uh because of its procedural nature i think and also the fact that gibson outside of that doesn't show much humanity that was my that was the only thing that i yeah. connected to him on and it was so but it was so british and so subtle you got to respect that but also it maybe because of that i wasn't broad enough for me to get uh, tickled in my uh, my my sad puss
2: wow that's that's an image um yeah. no but i just i and i thought of it too like him the putting it in the garbage is like him pushing it like deep down hmm. you know what i mean like yeah. just
0: pushing it into his gullet well, exactly he kind of has to because he's got yeah. a mission and he can't be worrying about his dead dog on the mission it was sad i was sad but we got tribute when we get code mm, uh, when the dams are blown. Yes, the code which we we'll, will not speak its name. Uh, okay, other <laughs> goner. Words. Goner was the code for a hit. That's right. But the other word was code for it being destroyed. Yes. Uh, any other bits and bobs we got here? Bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. So uh, I like the, they point out that they. Um that he here's his original plan was to use a ten-ton bomb, but they simply didn't have planes that could quite lug one. Mm. And even the ten-ton bomb wouldn't do nearly as much damage as this one. Like, it, it, it's what I like about this movie is the triumph of science of finding a way, and it ends up being a very, very specific way of getting accomplished, done what they need to. And so much had to go into that to to just get that moment of at the 232 miles an hour airspeed, because I think they say 240 in the movie. Wikipedia says 232, 60 feet above the water. <laughs> And then having to time that with that physical, like, guide as your gu- Like, that's, that's, it's just nuts. Men were crazy in those days. And, mm-hmm. and to, for them to They're not. They're totally only- okay now. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, crazy just as in ballsy to get in yeah. a plane and then go do that. And, and then to actually manage to fucking pull it off. Like, that's why this movie is so famous, is because this is so improbable that this fucking worked. And it did. Like, but that's a testament, I think, and the movie reinforces to me that that's a testament to the science and the work that was put into it.
2: So you believe in the triumph of, of the science, not necessarily the triumph of the will? Yes, I believe in the triumph of the science, Brendan.
0: Okay. Not the triumph of the
2: will. I will edit that to make you however, sound worse.
0: However, I will say that Will did did figure into it because you got to have the will to get this done, and they did it, and they made it work. Will Wheaton? Yeah, he was there. There you all go. Time. That's our guy, Gibson. See, because when Wesley Crusher went away with the Traveler, he gained <laughs> the power of time travel and was able to inhabit the body of Will Wheaton and then take the body of Will Wheaton back in time to uh, the 40s. He's our guy, Gibson. That's right. He is our... Mo- yes, Will Wheaton is Guy Gibson. Why Fuck not? yeah. He looks young enough. I know he's in his 40s, listen, but he looks young listen, enough. Listen, Ameri- Americans play British people all the time. That's right. It'll I- be fine. Hello, I'm Guy Gibson, I am. chim <laughs> chim chim chim
2: Beam me up, Scotty, and such. <laughs>
0: I like that he has a photo book of headshots for the pilots. Like it's a fucking modeling agency. Like they open up this book and I, I understand they probably did have records like that with face, with pictures of, but, but the pictures look like headshots. Like, like I, I swear one was like looking over his shoulder. <laughs> I wonder if, the, I wonder if they just took the casting director's That's, like,
2: uh, yeah, exactly. They just got
0: headshots and threw them a, in the fucking audition book. book. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now I did complain about the way this movie looks, but the end sequence and all the shots of planes in this movie are beautiful because they're real shots of planes we may see, I don't know if in our version we saw this, but apparently in the American version there was a couple of shots of uh, the B-17 Flying Fortress, which was an American plane and it's not featured in this movie. I don't think so. But uh, yeah, in the American prints, I guess there was B-17s that were shown there. Uh, there was a shot where um, Gibson is giving a speech to uh, all the pilots that are assembled. By the way, quick historical inaccuracy um the movie implies that the pilots that had just come off mission with gibson immediately volunteered to go on this mission with him which was not the case they all were like fuck it we're taking a rest yeah and they got other pilots um no but so he's giving a speech to all the pilots at one point about this dangerous mission and i swear it was like somebody bumped the camera like there was a weird shake in the camera like somebody had bumped it but they didn't they couldn't reshoot it so they had to use that shot <laughs> um and this is the battle plan scene right uh, I, I'm not sure if it's the battle plan. It, it's, it's where he it's,
2: finally reveals to them what they're doing.
0: Well, because it, it, there's this, another scene earlier where he talks to them about, like, oh, this is a big deal, but I can't tell you what we're doing. But then, mm-hmm. yes, there's also the battle plan scene later, which, again, reminiscent of Star Wars, yeah. reminiscent of uh, Mon Mothma in Return of the Jedi standing up there, and then that old dude in the first one whose name escapes me. But he definitely has a name and an entire history. Admiral Akbar. Nope. Okay. Well, I do want, I do want to play a little
2: bit of, just a minute here of the battle plan scene, because, like you said... It's another Star Wars thing.
1: Well, the training's over. For obvious reasons, you've had to work without knowing your target or even your weapon. You've had to put up with a good deal from other people who think you've been having a soft time. But tonight, you're going to have the chance to hit the enemy harder and more destructively than any small force has ever done before. You're going to attack the great dams of Western Germany. <laughs> Here are your targets. Here's the Myrna Dam. That's the Ader, And there's the Sorpy, all just east of the Ruhr. Now, we shall attack in three formations. The first will take the Myrna Dam as its first target, then carry on to the Ader. That'll be nine aircraft in three waves taking off 10 minutes between each wave. I'll lead the first with Hopgood and Martin. Young leads the second with Maltby and Shannon. And Maudsley the third with Knight and Astle. The second formation will consist of five aircraft. Joe McCarthy, Byers, Barlow, Rice, and Monroe. They'll go by this northern route to attack the Sorby. And also act as a diversion to split up enemy fighters. The third formation will follow as a mobile reserve to fill in gaps. That'll be five aircraft: Townsend, Anderson, Brown, Otley, and Burpee.
2: So yeah, no, I just, I, just, I just want to listen to that too because that again, like you said, very Star Wars. Yeah. Um, that that scene before they the go briefing, to Death
0: is Star. It. yeah. So uh, what's interesting about this group of pilots is that I've learned in real life... uh, So by the way, this operation is called Operation Chastise. This was the whole operation's name. Um, And the pilots were a... I wanted to say multicultural, but let's be real. uh, A bunch of white dudes from across the British Empire. And that included Canadian, South African, New Zealand, I think, Australian pilots. Um, and, And one of the bits I noticed in this movie was that there is a Canadian pilot. And we see him talking at one point and his voice, his accent sounded very strange to me, except for one specific word. We as Canadians, Brendan, have a reputation for saying words differently. Mm-hmm. And one of the most stereotypical ones that we get is the word about. Mm-hmm. We are accused of saying a boot. I have never heard a Canadian in my life say a boot. I've never heard them say a boot, but I've heard them get somewhat close to that. Americans say about, mm-hmm. we say about. Mm-hmm. Right. And the guy in this movie, even though the rest of his accent sounded weird, when he said the word about, he said it fucking right. He said it like a Canadian. So I'm wondering if this dude like researched the role. I don't know if he was Canadian and we just sounded different back then, or if he researched that word specifically and said it in the proper way, because it really hit my ears. And I'm like, thank you. You're the only one I've ever heard say it fucking right. Did you write him a letter? I, well, I'm assuming he's dead. So I didn't bother. Well, him, but, um, Why did you assume that Jason? This movie was made in 1955. You don't know. That's true. I don't. Maybe he's he quite could old. could be 80. I'll have to look him up after the movie's over. I don't remember what the character. is. Are we watching the movie right now? Yeah, yeah it's, on, it's on loop in the background. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I love how all the shots are goddamn real fucking planes, except there are a few model shots, I think, like when they, obviously, when they catch fire and things like that. I hope so. Um, and they look okay in the context. They do the trick. But I do love all the real shots of planes and low, low flying. That's a lot of fun. Um... And then we had the girls, with the dates and girls, and I got real excited.
2: This is, uh... This
0: is thought easy. this was going in a direction it didn't. Jason, we just got a podcast network. <clears throat> yeah. But that was cool, and yes, uh, uh, the Hollywood side of me thought that maybe something would happen there, but of course it didn't. Same, yeah, no,
2: yeah, we talked about that, we, I thought there was going to be a romance coming up here.
0: Uh, I laughed really hard when the guy, when they're doing the low-flying bombing and they, they're testing the bombs and the guides in the play just goes this is bloody dangerous <laughs> it's like yeah it is man <laughs> we go in the water bombs go in the water really like that scene of them doing practice runs on the dam in the, on the british dam which they miss i think they misname in the movie as the the derwent water dam When it's actually the Derwent Dam, because Derwent Water is a place nearby that is a lake, but it doesn't actually have a dam on it. You got to wonder
2: how many of these, and I know a few are mentioned for sure, but you got to wonder how many others of the historical inaccuracies are for for that same reason of it being so close to when the actual event happened.
0: Yeah, well, that's it. And, And they just may not have had the full information or they may have made a mistake in the writing. I mean, that's the thing is that... Writers in the 50s, Brendan, couldn't just pull up Wikipedia and check something. Because that's where writers of now should get all Absolutely, their information. That's where I know I, I certainly uh, start off my searches for sure. Um, I, I like the line, to avoid the fighters, we'll have to keep it zero feet all the way there and back. Like, so they are flying super close to the ground, buzzing every fucking French and German village on the way, I'm sure, mm-hmm. um, which keeps them below radar. But also, I mean, people with eyes can see them coming, so they're not completely invisible.
2: And also, all the, ch- all the hens are prematurely giving birth. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's, that's
2: not good. That's not good for the country.
0: Uh, oh, there's a weird scene, too, where um, I believe Gibson is sitting in his office, and it looked really strange to me, and it's because the window in the office is composited in from other footage. Okay. It's like it's it's like one of the like wide shots of the airfield, and they just rather than having an actual window, they have this. Com- I don't know if they actually projected it on the rear. I think if they'd actually projected it, it probably would look better. But it was like composited into the frame and looked really strange to me. Hmm. It almost looked green screen, but I'm like, well, no, it's 1955. It's not green screen. Yeah, it'd be uh, their screen. Yeah at one point they come to pick up all the guys take them on a mission after they've been sitting around just playing cards and doing whatever again representing that idea in the military of hurry up and wait like this that's so much of what they do is just sit around and wait until they're told to go is that during um this movie's
2: version of uh the animal house food fight
0: scene yeah absolutely just fucking playing <laughs> cards and and do the guys cool. come over and be like oh what's you doing all sitting around and being all lazy but as soon as they get the word they stop and immediately get into the cars and i thought it was interesting how many guys they crammed into some of those cars it's <laughs> like three guys getting in the back seats like this 1940 those back scenes aren't very big and they're or 1943 these back seats aren't very big and they're in full gear so but you know
2: when this movie gets remade this whole scene is going to be set to like hey baby won't you get me wrong (laughs) let's
0: dance dance. (laughs) jason is staring me down moving along uh, we thing. have a shot of the planes, kind of a profile shot of the planes that reminded me of a profile shot of the X-Wings from Star Wars when they're mm-hmm. flying into the Death Star. I've heard there's actually a VR experience where it's like you're in the lead plane with Gibson flying into uh, this mission. Hmm. And I would like to try that if I could ever come upon a VR headset. So if any of my listeners out there would love to send me a brand spanking new Valve Index. Just your listeners, not our uh, listeners? Uh, no, my listeners, my oh. my peeps. The, the Jasonites out there. Your Jayhawks the, the, out there. The, the, my Argonauts, if you will. If you're out there, folks. <laughs> I so like that. Pool your money. Buy me a Valve Index. Send fans, it to me. What are my fans called? You don't have fans. So uh, <laughs> they're all here for me, Brendan. I'll, I'll I mean, call it, them. I'll call it, them. The Brendiacs. I'll call them my booties. The, oh, the Brendan Brendan Small people?
2: What are the bits of bobs you got there? The Brendan face? Small folk. Uh, I don't, I can't tell if that's offensive or
0: not. <laughs> I like that la- uh, one of the later shots of an empty table representing the pilots that aren't yeah. there. During that whole radio announcement where yeah. they mentioned
2: that like eight, I think it was eight of them that didn't come back.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, no, it was 53 of them that didn't come back. They had eight oh, planes that were oh, missing. Oh, wow.
2: Okay. No, I read that wrong.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the last thing that sticks out to me is that shortly, bef- like like when um, Gibson and, and Barnes are talking about the raid and everything right at the end of the movie. And and Barnes is obviously having a hard time with the fact that fifty three men died, and he'll have an even harder time with all the civilians and forced laborers that died. And Gibbs response is, "Why don't you go see the doctor? He'll give you a sleeping pill. Go get fucked up and go to sleep." The other thing he says is, "You've had the hardest day out of any of us,"
2: which I'm like, "Has well, he?" Yeah. I mean, I guess you could you could argue like you watched fifty six of your friends die on that mission, or which you set in motion. I guess that is a lot to weigh to burden on your soul. I don't know if it's the, if it's a harder day than the people that died, yeah, exactly, but <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of get what it's saying. But it also felt to me like very like, uh, very like uh, almost white savior esque.
0: And and but also that was also uh, the kind of chipper esque of that character. He's just like, I ah, just go get a sleeping pill, you'll be fine. And then he goes about his business,
2: only to j- die one year later. Go inject some morphine, it'll be fine. That's right. I do like that last shot though, as as he walks away from him, when he he basically just tells him like. I have some letters to write and he walks away and they have that very nice music as he's walking down mm-hmm. and it does a nice ending. Yeah. It was Well, Jason, this movie does go to the Oscars. Oh. Yeah. It only gets nominated for one award, does not win any awards. Do you not want to guess what it's nominated I for? I assume
0: best visual effects if there was such a thing in 1955.
2: Yep, it was Yeah, it was called best special effects. Okay. Um, The winner that year is a movie called The Bridges at Toko Rai, which also, apparently, another movie that Star Wars pulled inspiration from.
0: Huh. So another war movie. Yeah.
2: Um, At the BAFTAs, it is nominated for two awards. Does not win. What do you think? Uh, Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Visual Effects. Best Film and Best British Film. Oh, wow. Both of these are won by Richard III. Uh, Reviews for this movie at the time were positive. Variety said the movie has a great attention to detail, which we talked about. Um, And over time, the movie's reputation kind of grew and grew. And now it's, of course, regarded as this, like, obviously, according to this list, a
0: beloved classic of British cinema. On the attention to detail thing, just one more historical accuracy that's so tiny, but I remember it being pointed out to me. Because I didn't notice. I'm not that... observant to notice this but at one point they're loading ammo into the lancaster and they're loading 50 caliber ammo into the plane when the lancaster actually used 303 ammo oh so there you go i think attention to detail my ass i think
2: that was another thing they changed for uh for uh reasons of it being so close like oh, maybe. Yeah. I, I maybe they didn't
0: want them to know they were using three hundred three ammo. I,
2: honestly, I think I think I read that that really? they 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 Weird. changed. It. I might be wrong, but I thought hmm. I, I thought I read that. Hmm. Um, this movie was the most successful film at the British box office in nineteen fifty five. Makes sense. So I don't know if this number makes sense because it's telling. I I, I saw that it made four hundred nineteen thousand pounds, and I don't know if that's right. But either way, all you need to know is the most successful British movie of nineteen fifty five, um, and it profited quite well. Yeah. But, fuck all that. Yes,
0: fuck it. What, uh, what did you think of this movie overall, Jason? Overall, Brendan. I thought this movie was an, was an entertaining uh, 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 recounting of this history. Obviously, it's not complete because we have more information today. But it's, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting movie. It's pretty boring for a good chunk of the first half of it. But once we start getting into the training and the bombing stuff starts to pick up. And by the time we get to the attack sequence, it is an enthralling and very cool sequence that I recommend everybody see. Uh, not my favorite war movie ever made, but I liked this story and I would love to see it remade mm. uh, at some point and see it done, done even better.
2: So... Originally, when you were talking about how you kind of made mention earlier about how the rest of the movie was not up to par with the last 30 minutes, yeah. I kind of alluded that we might be in a bit of a disagreement yep. here. But really thinking about it and talking about this movie, I think I'm kind of with you. Yeah. Um, I like this movie overall. Yes. The last 30, 40 minutes, of course, are really good. Yes. Um, but yeah, I kind of see what you're what you're saying. I don't think the character stuff is as strong as it should be for a movie like this. Mm. Um, But it easily
0: gets written away because it's sort of a historical chronicle. So you can kind of like... I'm more willing to let that slide in this context because it is telling this historical story, but But it also doesn't necessarily work as well as a film.
2: I think you need someone as an in. Yeah. Um, And Barnes is kind of that until we just completely, almost... Almost completely go away from that. Yeah. Um, Because we have to focus on Gibson and what he's doing. Right, because this is a Richard Todd vehicle. Yes. So, I mean, I think it's good overall. It's... It's definitely a bit of a slower pace. Um, I mean, it's sixty-eight on the list, so yeah. it's not like they're putting it in the top ten no. or anything. Um, I don't. I. I mean, it might be even lower for me, honestly. Uh, but I liked it. It's definitely not. It's no English Patient.
0: It's no English Patient, but it's also no Bridge on the River Kwai. No. or Lawrence of Arabia.
2: No. No. Certainly not.
0: Yeah. This is like kind of, and this maybe
2: this is this is not as. This sounds like a big slam, but it's not meant to be. But this is kind of what I feared Bridge on the River Kwai might be. Yeah. A little more stuffy.
0: A little more stuffy, a little more traditional kind of filmmaking.
2: Yeah. This um, feels very traditional.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, but like I say, beyond that attack, but that attack sequence is certainly revolutionary. And, yeah. And all the praise in the world for that. Weirdly enough, kind
2: of like Pearl Harbor. Although yeah. I would argue the rest of this movie is not as bad as the rest of the movie. Yeah, Pearl
0: this, the, the rest of this movie didn't really resonate with me. Whereas Pearl Harbor was actively painful at points to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, so it's a pass. It's fine. It's, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'd put it up there alongside something like Tora, 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 which also is similarly dry, but also really cool. It's,
2: I get the historical importance of it, the cultural yeah. importance of it. Um, as a movie, I don't know that it works as well as we're being told. It's no Top Gun. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Top Gun's fine. I like Top Gun. Uh, so Jason, now we get to a very exciting point of the show. We will roll the dice. And if you're just tuning in for the first time, what that means is, well, this week it's my turn. Yes. Um, but I will be rolling these dice. And when I roll these dice, I will land on a number and that number on the bfi top 100 list is the movie we are going to talk about next week
0: well let's bless this uh dice roll with a little taste of whiskey here in All honor right. of our dice rolls here's two movies and the random order at which they may come oh yes behave oh irish whiskey in my belly
2: so I am going to roll the 10s D10, which is green, as you all can see here. Is that a it's good very shot? very green. Is that a good shot right there? That's a very good, a good shot. Medium I think can shot. see it. Okay. Uh, and the red dice, which is the just a regular D10. It's as red as Brendan's penis. Which is quite beat red. It's firetruck red, to be fair. Woo! Uh, so we're going to roll the 10s one first. And uh, it's just the up the tension here, Jason. You ready? All right, let's do it. Let's this. see what we're going to talk about next week. Okay, we're in the nineties. Oh, Jason, many people tuning in for the first time. Won't know about this, but we have been waiting for carry on up the kind We have
0: been. So this is, we've got five movies in the nineties. If this is carry so. on, I am going to be very happy. And finally,
2: possibly horny Well, 92. It
0: is not damn our movie. The next movie we will watch. Brendan is 1942's Noel Coward and David Lean movie in which we serve. Oh, we just talked about David Lean. Yeah, just and it time. sounds like a war movie. So, Well, there we go. We're going. We're not going too far. <laughs> we're going back to World War Two, folks. 1942. So this is during World yeah, War Two. I assume maybe it's about World War One. We don't know.
2: I think you're right. You think it's World War Two? Uh, no, I think it's World War. I think it's about World War One. Okay, I think well, that's you're cool. right. But uh, you may be right, and I may be crazy. But maybe
0: that did be the lunatic you're looking for.
2: Age of Radio's on that track. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah that's gonna do it for us um again send us an email if you want for screen and country at gmail.com it's there it's real we can get your mails let us know just spelled out just all the words for screen Mm -hmm. and country no uh no spaces or underscores or any bullshit like that if you need advice
0: send it in we may not answer it we probably won't answer it but (laughs) but maybe you'll feel better if we need advice? If, no, they need advice. Oh. If somebody needs advice, send it to us. We'll consider it and then never talk to you. I mean,
2: I mean, Jason's being a little, uh, Jason, have you ever promoted
0: anything before? <laughs> look, I, look, I, I don't understand all this fancy marketing stuff. Okay. But what I can tell you is that I feel this in my heart. Okay. So send us your letters and we won't read them.
2: So Jason, how would you feel right now if I just started singing the main theme to Four Weddings at a Funeral? please don't <laughs> so you can follow us on twitter at bfi underscore pod you can find us on facebook just by searching for screen Dan and you can also find us on our facebook group
0: for screening country group that's we're it we're there search, search us up um, you can find jason on twitter at jason d mcleod that's m-a-c-l-e-o-d we're just having fun times man so just come chill
2: he drops some real bouncing bombs of truth that's right on the twitter man. world
0: alex jones got nothing on me he doesn't because he tried, and you were like, fuck off. I was like, fuck off, you you overwrought Texan. Yeah. Uh,
2: and you can find us on all the podcasters, of course. Uh, I'm not sure if we're on there at this time of the recording, but possibly find us at ageofradio.org. If not, just search for us on Podbean, uh, Apple Podcasts, all that Thanks stuff. Thanks
0: again to our network sponsor,
2: Age of Radio. <laughs> On the NBC tonight, you'll hear Three Tones ring out. They have a simple message. Here's what it's all about.
0: I love you. NBC. That's right. Pig fucker. Is that his name in, in private parts? Pig. It was it pig fucker? Or sure. I don't know. I haven't seen that movie in a while. It's a fun movie.
2: Pig vomit. Pig vomit. There we go. Never thought I'd hear that on this podcast. But until next week, Jason, I just have to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screening Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. And this has been an Age of Radio production.
0: Age of Radio in the morning. Busters are exclusively supplied with Ursula jeans. Ursula jeans. When you need a jean that Ursula made.